Welcome to Beer in a Movie, the podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Dave Gurney. I'm here as always with... Hey, it's me, Joe Hilliard. And we have a very good friend of uh, the pod. This guy's my favorite. Your favorite guest. Yes. Always, Joe. Uh... Kyle Ferguson coming to us all the way from the West Coast. Hi, how's it going, guys? Great to have you back, <laughs> thanks, Kyle. Thanks yet again for having me uh, return. And and under under somewhat auspicious circumstances, bring bring you in for something that's uh, non horror again. I guess not non straight ahead horror at Correct. least. You know, yeah. uh, we're about to do Bo is Afraid, and the only thing I could ascertain from the trailer because I try to go in spoiler free, but I will watch the marketing that the studio puts out. So right. I did watch the trailer. The trailer blew up, you know, the internet when it came out. People very excited about the movie, but from the trailer, I could only ascertain seemingly that that, that Joaquin. Phoenix's character goes on a journey, right? So we bring our three-way chat with uh, this week's guest, and I say, hey, it's a journey. So let's do a journey beer. David, you and I have talked many times about the beers, the craft beers that helped us on our craft beer journey, get us started, that kind of thing. So I just asked Kyle, Kyle, what are some beers that got you going in craft? And Kyle had some great answers. Uh, well, I, I will say my very first beer was a Guinness, uh, but I know that's well-trod territory here. Yeah. And Wait, so, you're uh, saying that the first beer you drank was a Guinness? Yes. I'm, I, that's impressive because yeah. m most of us had to, you know, like battle it out yeah. with some mine, light adjunct my, lagers. Mine was a Miller Genuine Draft. Yeah, no, I was definitely drinking like Rolling Rock and sure. uh, Natural Light and, and things of the sort. I didn't get to Guinness until like a few years into being oh, a beer and drinker. Oh, and they poured that first Guinness for me. I was scared. <laughs> you know, that's completely not so see-through. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. that's that's a great introduction. But, the, but then I guess the, not craft necessarily. So then I guess we start <clears> thinking about where did did you go first step on that craft journey? Uh, and that was, that was leaning into, I mean, stone uh, is obviously very well known, um, but also Certainly in your neck of the woods. Yeah. That, that's what I was going to say. Um, especially for me here, it's about two hours away. Um, their main uh, like San Diego location. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, extremely common. I'm sure it's a shelfie everywhere across America, but especially here, you don't have any issues going into any store and grabbing a good IPA. Um, so as far as dipping my toes into what's craft um, and trying to figure out what my palate's like, um, other than, you know, the original Guinness, I think the Arrogant Bastard. Yeah. Um, that's, that's one that was coming in tall cans and I could, you know, bring a couple out to shows with me. Um, so I didn't have to drink piss wherever we were. Um, <laughs> nobody should ever want to drink piss unless you're into that. That's, you know, that's, up I to mean, you. unless you're bear grills, right? <laughs> that, <Yeah>. then... <laughs> Just squeeze the piss on. Yeah. Whatever, whatever you, whatever you want. Um, <laughs> but the, the arrogant bastard, that's one that, you know, when we look at the chin, uh, look at the can and it's very much like, this is a beer that'll put hair on your chest. It's going to beat your ass to death with how much hops are in here. And it, and it does when you're not like adjusted to it. Yeah. Um, so that being one of my earlier ones that I was really into, I feel like, uh, I developed the palate for IPA, you know, um, not, not fearful of the bitterness of these hops, you know, and that's, uh, kind of 
my, my jump straight off the diving board into just about as bitter as an IPA can get. And, and so since we've done Arrogant Bastard on a previous episode, we, had, we landed yeah. on Stone. And David, I think it was your idea to do tonight's beer that will accompany Bo is Afraid. Fear, movie, lions. And it turns out that the F word there, fear, is a fantastic tie-in. It's also a movie. No, no lions, though. No lines necessarily, yeah. but but you know this is also you know I I think their playful rendering of the uh, acronym FML, which yeah. which usually goes for fuck my life, right? Is, isn't that yeah? What we're usually and they also here, say which that... is kind of appropriate for Bo is afraid as well. True, that's a very very true. Uh, Fear movie lions is a hazy double IPA. It's an eight point five percent ABV blend of cross country styles. It got it. It's got the bitter, hoppy backbone you'd expect from a West Coast IPA with a slight haze and massive aroma you'd typically find in an East Coast-style IPA. And I look forward to drinking this tall boy, uh, 8.5, alone. David, you've got one. I've got one. Kyle, you've got one. While we uh, dive into a movie that I'm very glad that, A, I'm discussing with two other people because I don't think I'd be able to do it by myself, (laughs) and B, a, a movie I'm glad I'm not synopsizing. Well, it's actually, I think it's a it's a very easy movie to synopsize. Now, w- once we get into the particulars, I, I guess we'll we'll probably start. Uh, it, it will start to become apparent why Joe is is a little trepidatious about it. But I mean, essentially, um, well, b- before we get there, I just want to say I poured this beer. It yeah. is definitely opaque. It's hazy, um, getting a pretty malty nose. Yeah, a little fruit too. Little bit of fruit, a little bit of like tropical fruit. Right. Um, the can says the t- flavor notes are tropical punch, berry, and peach. Okay. Wow. That, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm getting a little, I get, I think I maybe I do get a hint of peach in there. That's interesting. All right. Well, I'm looking for, and I haven't had this one before. So this is, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of excited. I, I used to be pretty good about any time a new stone offering came sure. around, picking it up. And and I don't know if it's just because you know wh- whatever it is you get it you get too comfortable you get too used to it okay they're always putting out new beers I don't have to try every single one of them but uh, I'm glad that this gave me an excuse to try this so I'm looking forward to sipping it um, we'll, we'll see how complex the beer is the movie is somewhat complex but like I said can be boiled down to a pretty simple synopsis I think where we have a main character whose name is Bo Wasserman right. Did I get that right? Yeah. I think you did. Uh, played mm-hmm. by Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, Bo is a middle-aged man who seems to live on his own in a pretty crime-ridden city. And he is, at the beginning of this film, about to take off on a journey to visit his mother. Um, where, you know, uh, we know that um, he speaks with her on the phone. She's uh, very demanding, very disappointed in him. Um, he misses his plane, so he does not make it to, to the, to the destination in the original way that he intended. And through a series of mishaps, misadventures, what have you, that journey to his mother's home gets delayed. She also seems to maybe have died while he was on his way there, Mm. though that gets called into question later. Um, he does ultimately make it though to his destination and have that final, uh, showdown with his mother <laughs> is it a confrontation confrontation certainly yeah. um so they, that's kind of the basic idea man's going to visit his mother uh, stuff happens along the way 
he eventually gets there. That, that <laughs> does that does that work as a as a yeah. simple synopsis? Chaos ensues. That's like half of the skeleton of the film, but okay, I'll, I'll grant you that. Okay. Um, when we meet Bo, you say he lives in a crime-ridden city. He lives in like this like slum kind of apartment where everything doesn't like almost works. The elevator doors almost open correctly. The 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 buzzer and the way to get in almost work. But outside the doors of his apartment is yeah, like uh the news talks about a naked man that's been going on a stabbing <laughs> rampage. Well, he lives it seems like right outside the doors of the apartment. Also with many many kind of homeless looking folks, kind of just nefarious looking folks right outside the apartment that and then when he gets to his apartment clearly they've had um a pest problem and on the door of every apartment is caution brown recluse <laughs> spiders do not let them bite you and it, it just all of a sudden from the get-go you're understanding that we are about to go on a trip a journey that it's going to be riddled with a high level of anxiety yeah and i think that that is one of the themes of this movie is that Bo. We learn why is an anxious guy and, <laughs> and we're seeing the world i think in this heightened reality that is through his eyes i don't think that the naked murdering stabber guy lives lives and loiters around his door right. but i believe that when he sees that on the news he imagines that that's going on and that's why he we encounter him very early on. That's interesting. I don't even think I was trying to determine where the subjective uh, experience of his reality versus any shred of true reality, w where those would begin and end. I, I don't think I I don't ever, know how you avoid it. Uh, I mean, I think from the get-go, I felt like this is all happening in his mind. Okay. I, I don't even know. And, and yeah. it could only happen in somebody's mind. I, I think He's, there are things that are happening... But through his filter, which is the screen that we're watching, everything is heightened. Everything. Every step yeah. of this journey. As somebody who does live with crippling anxiety, um, I'll say that it, it's, it's kind of like no matter what you're looking at or thinking or seeing, it all kind of triggers your flight or, flight or fight response. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's kind of the... the mindset that he's in you know you see the, the spider uh like postage up you know beware of spider yeah and there's not just one but there's one on literally every single door and then until that pays off you're it's like in the corner of every frame you can see the sign yeah and it for me kind of came off as a representation of that's always in the back of his mind he can't let yeah. anything like that go it's all right. going to kind of be front and center to him all at once. You know, every source of anxiety is all happening aggressively to him all at the same time. It's overwhelming. Yeah. It, it is a very, uh, it, it's a sensory overload kind of film. I think especially right out of the gate, um, the, all the stuff that Joe's talking about, this kind of cacophony of life that's going on outside his building, which is all very dangerous, right? Like you said, it's either vagrants who are threatening, uh, you know, people who, who are dancing to music that's unfamiliar to him, you know, looking for water in places where it can't be found, right? His, his apartment no longer has running water when he needs to take his pills and he has to run across the street. That's what, you know, it's just, it's 
thing after thing after thing of how overwhelming this experience of life is for him. And then eventually the, what takes shape is the, why he is this way. And we begin to, there's a series of flashbacks and flash forwards throughout the film. And uh, we see Bo as a young boy and the relationship that he has with his mother on a cruise. Um, the relationship that he has with his mother in forcing him to take a bath, the relationship he has with his mother, which there's a, to me a grand payoff at the end when we learn kind of exactly how in Bo's mind, his mother is meddling with or in control of his life. Uh, he meets a young girl on a cruise when he's a young boy. And um, there's two things there. Number one, it's the first time he's, I think, connecting with a human that isn't his mother, that is female. And uh, she's drug off and says, wait for me, you know, wait, wait for me. And he decides to do that because, number two, his mother told him that his father who I guess was a virgin on their wedding night, when they had sex one time and conceived Bo that time, lucky shot, he died. The father died upon right. ejaculation. And that the same thing had happened to his grandfather. Yeah. So he, in his mind, knows that this is some kind of genetic thing where I must be chased. So he, I guess he has lived a life of never ejaculating, never masturbating, never, never having sex or any kind of intimacy with right. a woman. And because of that, his testicles are swollen up to the size of grapefruits, uh, which you kind of see a glimpse of in this bathtub scene where there's a rock. You, you also see it later when he when he uh, consummates with uh, Elaine, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. When he and Elaine meet at his mother's house and have sex in his mother's bed, you yeah. know, that, all that. Um, so, I mean, that's just one layer of, yeah. of multi-multi-layered film. That that whole beginning part. Okay, so we <laughs> you, we had like the most bare bones synopsis. Yeah. Um, I wasn't sure what all you were gonna mention, um, but there was definitely a point where I felt like a switch was flipped, and the tone is completely different. Now this was uh, when he he's basically leaving his apartment. He's about to go like undertake this journey to go, even though he knows that. Uh, you know, he doesn't have his flight or whatever. He's he's headed out the door. Um, also, his keys was stolen. So he's, <laughs> right. like, he's like pretty sure that as soon as he leaves, his apartment's going to fill up with people. Um, but he is struck by a truck. Now, everything before getting hit by the truck, I loved. Really? I, I, was, okay. I was dying laughing. I yeah. had such a great time with... I. Do you have any kind of guess of what like timestamp that is that he gets hit? That's a good I've been question. To I, that, out, that was an I important to say moment. Maybe like a half hour, forty uh, minutes. I, yeah, I'd say about 30, 40 minutes. Yeah, yeah, maybe forty. And yeah. it's important to say the movie runtime is like what three twenty. Uh, it's three. I think three? it's okay. just about three dead it's like on. Right on the spot, if you add three, the trailers yeah. in, I think right, you're which be is in this there. weirdo trend here on the show of a lot of new releases, Renfield excluded, of these new releases John being Wick, very yeah. long. Yeah. But yeah, so mm -hmm. thirty minutes in or a sixth into the film, you're right, uh, Kyle. He gets unexpectedly hit by a truck, and and you know when you're going into this movie and you keep hearing it called like, oh, it's like a. I, I was seeing horror less, but a lot of people's calling it like nightmare comedy, or it's like a comedy drama. It's a dark, it's a black comedy. It's a dark comedy. Everything that happened up to him getting hit by the truck 
was so funny to me. Like the, the yeah, like you already mentioned the birthday boy stab man who would just repeatedly <laughs> scream fuck you and just wave his knife in the air as, and anytime anyone looked out the funny. window he's just there going fuck you fuck you fuck you fuck you <laughs> and it was so funny um there's just graffiti on all the walls there's like there was like a weird creature pissing into his own the, mouth the, there's when, like when a they break into his apartment they, up... they left one of the best pieces of graffiti i think it was a penis and it just said come it was like a, a you know yeah, a, he's like holding up a flag that just says the word come on yeah, it yeah yeah like uh, it's quick. so uh, smart and hilarious a small detail he heats up a microwave dinner and throws the box into the trash can and it's oh aloha uh, Oh, it, apostrophe Loha. Right. Irish, yeah. Irish Hawaiian, Hawaiian cuisine, cuisine yeah. which I, I laughed out loud <laughs> with that. There's a payoff. A to combination that. you've never seen before and likely will never see again. <laughs> right. Um, and but like I was I was dying laughing through this whole this whole intro part. And yeah. even it, with the movie, because we didn't mention exactly how it starts. It's, uh, you know, it, it's kind of muffled sound editing, black screen. You hear a bunch of like weird static and sound yeah. effects. And from my understanding, or at least my interpretation is it seems like um, the it's father right? dropped a bow on his head. Yeah. Cause like when it comes into focus, they're around the bathtub and the mom's saying, what did you do? Blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, acting like somebody yeah, was being the, negligent it's, with it's, him. It's the birth of Bo from his POV inside the womb. Right, with with this drop happening, right, as he, and yeah. then the mother mm -hmm. immediately screaming, complaining at yeah. all of the staff. Right, yeah, that's the first and so thing right right from the get go, that's that's like the the his first like conscious thoughts that we're privy to yeah. is just essentially his mom screaming. <laughs> yeah, um, but but then yeah, when he eventually ends up hit by the truck, it, it felt like the all the humor of it just stopped. Um, and it was so funny because I leaned over in the theater to my partner and I said, Oh my God, I'm going to this. He converted me. I love, <laughs> I love this. It's so funny. And my only thought was, how are they going to sustain this for three hours? Yeah. The like frantic energy and how funny it was. Um, the answer is you just don't. Um, yeah. He gets hit by the truck and it's for me, never funny again um which was really weird because it was so relentlessly funny for for that first stretch and then it just stops the second i acknowledge oh my god i'm loving this yeah it just shut off and the film's very episodic because that leads him to be resuscitated by a couple uh played by um amy ryan and nathan, nathan lane, lane. Yeah who put a tracking thing on his ankle, a tracking bracelet on his ankle, mm -hmm. and say that he's a surgeon, a doc, you know, MD, and has, you know, uh, uh, mended some of his wounds. And then the mother, but, they, but they're celebrating the honor, the, the, the memory of their son, who was killed, I assume, in the Gulf War or something like that. Right? Like, I think they actually yeah. make up Nicaragua. I think it's in Nicaragua. Okay, okay. I mean, they, they kind of reference it very briefly. It's a, it's a false war. But then it's we a learned, war that didn't happen. Then we learned that his son was actually killed by a fellow officer who now they house, you know, and, and he's crazy. <laughs> uh, that that was kind of funny. Interesting. You thought yeah. that was funny? I mean, Kyle, as much as I find, you know, I, I mean, I could... I had a lot of problems with some with, with a lot of the things I was laughing at. Laughing at 
the, you know, mental illness and the homeless, I, I probably shouldn't be laughing at, uh, you know, the, the stab man. I mean, as funny as that is, it's like, should I be laughing at people who are mm -hmm. so um, deprived of services that they would need to be able to live? Or if you're looking at the at the inner workings of the mind of someone that's real with anxiety, does that give you a pass? Because it's well, that's it's it. It's all filtered. That's, that isn't that's where I kind of go with it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but but I hear what you're saying. I mean, I there were many many questionable laughs that I had, but my laughs did not end with the with the truck accident. No, I thought that Nathan Lane and Amy Ryan, I mean, it, it, it turns because now he's able to interact with people on a one-on-one -on -one basis, which we hadn't seen prior to that right, moment, right. outside of the flashbacks with the young being young. Um, and I might not have, I might have that out of order in my mind. To me, this is a film that begs a second viewing because I believe that it is filled and it's going to have to beg real hard clues and symbols <laughs> that I think are going to make a lot more sense. You know, one, one of those films, a puzzle film. I, listen, I don't doubt that. It, I, so let's let's get out. They, Kyle's kind of put out where he, he it almost had him, and then it really didn't, and and he got that. Oh, I it, feel like we could talk about this movie for two more hours. We and... will. We'll keep talking about it. But I just want to put out there: this was the first big disappointment from Ari Aster from for me. Yeah. I've I have loved. I, I mean, Hereditary sure. and Midsummer were right. films that I really a lot loved. of topic of conversation Ma on the show made yeah. a point to to try to uh, you know get people to see and think that I will not be encouraging people to see this film, including you, the listener, right now listening. I am not going to encourage you to go see this film, Kyle. Yes. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so. We're laying I, our cards as, down, I think. As far as, as hereditary, I liked parts of. Um, mm -hmm. I thought that there was a lot of like weird dropped plot points and it didn't stick the landing. I'm kind of neutral to hereditary. I didn't like Midsummer almost at all. Um, mm -hmm. Visually, it looks cool, but just plot wise, it did nothing for me. Um, this, like I said, the first half hour, 40 minutes, I was like, wow. This is, this is what he should have always been doing. Just straight dark comedy. Don't even pretend like he's a horror director. You know, like, why are we imposing that people have to be, either be a horror director or you're a non-horror director? You know, like, that's all ridiculous anyways. Yeah. So when people come in just kind of throwing the word horror around on this, and I'm like, no, that's not what this is at all. This is just, like, dark, dark, darkly hilarious. Yeah. You know, it's all, like, the, the grimmest stuff that just amped up. To a way that makes you laugh and then it just stopped when he got hit by the truck and i'll say that the the entire rest of the movie never really got back to that point um some things worked better for me than others but there was just long stretches where i was just like so something has to happen that has some type of impact on this character because yeah. he didn't really you know maybe like halfway through two-thirds through i'm thinking is Bo even a character at all because he there's there's not really i don't know he, you're you're not really where is the growth the, where is the, the things that you're seeing of course are through his point of view so you're given his thoughts but you don't really have any um uh like not you're like lacking context for almost all the movie yeah you know right. as as to what what some of these things there's like a whole part where he runs into the forest and meets like a group of people performing plays for each other. And that could have just been like an entire hour just cut out in the middle and it would have made no difference to me. Agreed. Um, Agreed. And, and 
you know, maybe these things are going over my head. Maybe it was just could have been done better. You know, that's that's all open I've, to interpretation here, or your my your mileage may vary. But for me, it did nothing. Here, nothing. Here's where I go with this. Right. I think th this movie was so incredibly frustrating for me after about the first 45 minutes to an hour. I got a little pet like I, I got into the Nathan Lane, Amy Ryan portion mm -hmm. of it and was still hanging with it. Her, her eating her giving mouth to mouth with her daughter. And then coming up with the blue paint, I just thought that whole thing was riveting. Well, the, I mean, the daughter drinking the paint, I found really, like, I don't get impacted by horror as much as some people, mm -hmm. but somebody drinking paint was a thing I had never seen happen before. Yeah. And it, like, it made me feel scared and sick it. in a way sure. that I've never felt before. Like, watching somebody consciously choose to drink something that you know is going to kill it, which, you know, again, your mileage may vary. To some people, that may seem like a silly scene. Mm -hmm. That got really dark in a way. And and that whole character, this, like, screaming, absolutely the daughter unyielding of the teenage girl who just is like relentlessly angry towards her parents, towards this visitor, towards like that whole thing. I found like, wow, this is, but it, it went away from funny and more into like, whoa, this is getting really dark. But I agree with you, Kyle, like once he flees into the forest, there's a good hour plus of the film that just felt like the most tiresome treadmill of different neuroses that we could play out through this guy's head. And I, I just don't think there was much payoff there. Like and, once and, it got back to a little bit of the psychosexual trauma stuff and, and it really then focused on that relationship or the relationship that never was with Elaine, the, the terribly controlling mother relationship and, and the lies that maybe she had told or whether or not those were lies, who knows? You know, like I said, this is all playing out in his head. I found that stuff somewhat compelling and I certainly like the monster cock in the attic. But put a pin in that, that was his dad. But um, but you know, like it was just it was too little as it went along. This is a movie that needed editing. This is a movie that Ari Aster needed not to be told that he was the second coming of whatever he thinks he is, David Lynch. Blah blah blah. Yeah, I've, I've this is, been saying that. This is hubris <laughs> to me. But but the thing is, I and I could. I, I can I can cop to saying that like I was part of the championing of those first couple features that probably led him to a place where he felt like this film worked based on all of his whims being really ingenious and, and worth using. But he needs an editor. He needs a collaborator who can sit down and say like, here's some good ideas. Let's put this together into a package that actually makes some sense to an audience. And then you can tell this story. But that this one is what happens to me when somebody has no ability to understand what's what's useful and what's not he, useful. He got final cut and maybe needed a little help to get it where it should have been. Okay, I like Midsummer more than Hereditary. I like Midsummer very, very much. I also like the idea that three guys here that, that generally agree on movies can have three different opinions. I think you're talking about someone who's making interesting things. This movie's too long. Uh, take out that whole forest scene, I wouldn't do. Uh, but you, there, there's 30 minutes in there that could that could easily be cut out. Uh, because I like when the soldier uses the tracking device to find him. I like that. I like uh, I like that um, that animated version of the idyllic life that he would have had. 
uh, I, li- I liked that. Uh, and I liked everything about when he got home. Everything about when he finally gets home, realizes his mother wasn't killed. Uh, then the, the, the payoff, now that was funny. The payoff that um, we get when we see and learn that she has created uh, this huge business that started when he was born and the evolution of the different products that she creates with the business that have to do with him. Because, and then I liked the idea that he meets up with Elaine and that they have sex and he doesn't die. I liked the idea that... Uh, <laughs> but she does. But she well. does, right? <laughs> but, but she does. That was great performance by Parker I love Posey, seeing, by the way. I love seeing Parker Posey. <laughs> I love seeing Parker Posey the way we did. Uh, I liked the attic scene. We'll talk about the penis monster in a second. But I loved the, I didn't love, the subject matter of this film is so in my head that I feel like that second viewing is, maybe I'm the only one of the three of us that's going to go do it. But the idea of mother trauma and generational trauma and the idea that uh, the mother figure can be so in control of the son that makes him become a neurotic mess his entire life is speaking directly to me. And I think that Ari Aster swung for the fences and I don't mind an artist doing that. But one thing I know we're all agreeing on is the movie just plain too long. I do want to talk about the monster penis and I do want to talk about that final um, trial scene before, before we <laughs> how, get on. How too long is it to you? How much would you like? I looked at reduce? my watch a couple of times, Kyle, and that's never a good sign. Uh, but I can't mm-hmm. re- tell you the moments that I did. I don't remember exactly what was going on on the screen when I was like, "This is fucking dragging." Yeah, we got to get somewhere. And then if it, to me, it eventually does. But yeah. I mean, it all is around the forest stuff. I, I mean, if I had to estimate it, Kyle, I would say that this could have been an hour forty-five to two hour. Yes. Good film. Maybe if you could have even brought it down to like something closer to like 90 minutes, I think it could have been an excellent film. I Mm. think that there's, to me, this is, I kept thinking of, you know, this is like Woody Allen meets meets Alfred Hitchcock meets uh, David Lynch. For You know, like I I think that he's trying to bring together that kind of neurotic, um, self-obsessed, comedy of Woody Allen, which actually we were talking about on chat today, you're not as familiar with, but I guarantee you, if you watched a couple Woody Allen films, you would see very quickly <laughs> what I'm talking and that's, about. That's fair. Uh, given everything, I, I won't. Yeah, no, you don't have to, but, <laughs> but, I, but, but t- take my word for it. Al, uh, yeah, you know, absolutely. Albert Brooks would be another good, like again, nebishy, neurotic, Jewish b- view of the world. It's very much about being, but then Hitchcock's uh, obsession with women and how they're the root of all evil. And then, and then layer on top of that, just like, I'm going to throw strange stuff in to, to titillate you and to, and to do things that are, that are kind of strange and put you off. I, I even think there's a little Jodorowsky in there too, in, in, in a certain sense, but I think you could have had a tight version of that, that would have worked really well and instead like joe said i wasn't looking at my watch because i try to be very uh 
in polite the okay. in 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 the theater and not bringing out my lit up phone because that's how I, I see I wear time. A watch. Well, you wear a watch. Yeah. I don't. Um, so I so I wasn't looking at the time, but I was hearing people's breathing. I was breathing yeah. in ways. There was a mm-hmm. guy sitting two seats over from me who got up about. I'd say with 45 minutes left in the film and just gave up and left and never came back. Never came back. And and I, when he did that, I was like, I totally get it guy. I do too. I I was feeling like, you know, if I didn't have to talk about this tomorrow, I might decide that I could get out of here. I never see you doing that. I never see you doing that. I, I, I totally get it though. And, and it's, it's frustrating for me having, almost had my mind changed on Aster. You know, like the the beginning was so just chaotic and hilarious and I thought edited very well. Um, You know, lots of of care was given to the set to where you could look in any corner and there was like a joke. You know, you could freeze frame any any frame of the first 40 minutes of this and it would just make you crack up. You know, just looking at the graffiti alone. You know, at at one point they like, they like uh, pan over like a porn sh- a porn shop, <laughs> and there was just a whole bunch of like oh yeah clips they- like movie titles that says like pussy shoots balloon and you're yes. like what <laughs> I need to I need, I need context for what the fuck wait this I need is. to go to that store what <laughs> yeah the saving that for the DVD extras and, yeah and and of course like you're never gonna see that again and there's zero context um so that's that's fine um. But but then it just it just stops and and you have to just watch Aster jack himself off for so long. Well, and it just that by the by the time we get to the end where there is some kind of you know, there's the turn that his mother didn't actually die. And I'm like, I wish I was surprised or feeling about, anything by this point, but I was just beaten down. Did the headless corpse in the coffin do anything for no, you? I laughed out loud. I I did laugh at that one. You said you didn't I, laugh later. I in the film. I, I wish. At oh, the, just okay. at that point, I was just so tired, and <laughs> and that's a bit I've already seen in the Evil Dead TV show. Okay. So, well, I missed. I don't one, know. Yeah. That was actually another thing is that I feel like a lot of these um, bits are reused, uh, which was. It was weird until the very ending, and I'll mention something my partner said about the very ending. The uh, there's a bunch of like recurring things that he's already done that he's doing again here. When yeah. they mention, oh, like he calls his mom, a UPS guy answers the phone and says, oh, there's a dead body here, and he's Bill like, well, is it my mom? And it takes forever to, for to like for it to get to the point. But apparently, a chandelier fell on her head, and I'm like, okay, there's the Astor head trauma. Yeah, there's. Did, um, did you like the a, little a, memorial to the place where the chandelier had landed? Yeah, yeah there's just like a, a hole in the ground <laughs> where funny. where the wood where the wood planks are split. Yeah. Um, there was a part where a guy's standing on a roof, and Bo looks over like, "What's going on over here?" And everybody's like, "Oh, we're trying to convince him to jump." Yeah. And you get like the the shot through the cell phone camera looking up at this guy on the building like about to jump, and I'm like, okay, there's a guy jumping to his death. Yeah. You know, it was it was very um, like I his don't know playbook. He, he like yeah, like he was digging into his own movies to like reuse stuff. Yeah. Um. You know, the mom was doing her very best Tony Collette at the end, just kind of yelling, and I am your mother. You know, it was very yeah. hereditary. I was just like, this I definitely is so, like, saw redundant. some overlap between it's her redundant. And um, and and you know, we get to the very very end, 
you know, after everything's said and done, he's essentially on this boat facing trial on what I, you know, imagine is his death. Is he going to heaven or hell for the things that, you know, things he's on done trial for how he has treated his mother. Right. Has he been a good son? Right. That, yeah. Yeah. And, but they, they mentioned other things too. Like there was like a guy when he's crossing the street earlier and his like looking a uh, war shocked uh, street, you know, he leaves yeah. the apartment and there's a guy going, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. Yeah. And he just very kind of puts blinders on and runs right. straight across the yeah. street to the Seven Eleven or whatever it is to get his water for his pill. Right. Totally ignores this guy. Cause he's focused on, I need to, not get stabbed by the naked <laughs> guy stabbing people with his dick out. Yeah, um, and the tattoo guy that, that attacks him for no reason. Yeah, there's yeah. there's so much going on that that he skips over this guy asking for help, and that's another thing they bring up at the end. They do. And and the thing that stroke struck me about that trial scene is that I had just recently watched for the first time a matter of life and death, um, which nope. Oh shit! I, 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 I don't know that one. What what is it? Oh my god! Okay, so you guys need to watch that. But it, it's essentially like this guy. Uh, he dies in war, but is missed in the London fog, and is not picked up by you know the forces that be and brought off to the afterlife. Oh. So then he meets the woman that he was on the radio with as he was being shot down. They fall in love. And then the so-called Grim Reaper comes for him and he's like, well, you made the mistake. I fell in love. Now, why do I have to, you know, why do I have to be dead now? And this is your bad. And essentially goes on trial for, you know, all the things he's done in his oh, life. Okay, you know, yeah. is pa- it worth Powell it for you to live? I, I got to check that out. That's yeah. Um, it's, it's great. It's visually stunning. And then that end was just ripped straight off of that movie. Well, and it, with it, no, it made... no, so blatantly that I was like, damn, it's just like doing an homage or, it made me Popping think it. of the Albert Brooks film, yeah. Defending Your Life, which is a later film. So that was probably copying some of A Matter of Life mm-hmm. and Death. But that was a film from the 80s where it was a guy who dies, goes to the sort of holding area of the afterlife where they determine where you're going to go. Are you going to go back? Are you going to go on to this like heaven-like yeah, place? Fantastic and, movie. and you're mm-hmm. basically, you have, you're given a lawyer and they're kind of like walk, work through various scenes of your life and talk about whether or not you made the right decision or if you showed too but much if fear. You're, then... If you're watching a three hour movie, <laughs> you shouldn't, you shouldn't get to the end of it and go, Oh yeah, I just saw this and it was better. Yeah. Like, why is yeah. that like the, the climax of your movie? That's that was that was puzzling to me. Um, I mean, but there's the, so the many, thing... but there's so many really interesting and worthwhile moments. That's what, like I said, you could cut this down and it could be a really great film. And I hate that I'm saying like, let's throw out the baby with the bathwater here. And I can't, but I can't recommend this film to people. Joe wants to talk about the penis monster. I talked about the penis monster. What do you want to say about the penis monster? Fuck you. Never mind. I don't want to talk about the penis monster anymore. Well, no, I just thought it was, it was just so <laughs> interestingly bizarre and out of nowhere. You know, we had seen some animation. We had seen some, you know, uh, he's throwing everything he can with the screen on this. Yeah. But that to me was a very bold, but I don't know effect how effective the choice was. Uh, and you're right. I do believe that it symbolizes his father, who all we know about him was that he was the sperm donor to yeah. create uh, Bo. I, I mean, well, I, think, I mean, I, did you ever think that he was dead? The father? The father? Yeah. I, I, I think the 
father. I think that the penis monster was the father. You're talking about when he goes up there. There's another man there's up his, there. There's his his dad. Um, you think you, you know, think that's like his a, father? An empty, an empty bowl of food, and he's all old and you has think a big gray father. beard. Yeah, I thought that was the father. Also, yeah, I my that interpretation was of the very very beginning was that the dad dropped a bow on his head. Uh-huh. The mom shut the dad in the attic and then just lied about it and said that he yeah. died, you know, uh, on, uh, so what's the during penis? intercourse? Well, the, the penis is just like the most obvious metaphor for, <laughs> tr- you know, the, the kind of stereotypical, the, the fear, well, the way that the mother, feelings which, you have you know, for this man, the way of, that his own sexuality has become his object of fear in his life. Like yeah. this is like, and the, he, he feels guilt just for existing as the person he is because right. his mom's instilled this into him. Right. And what better way to get the point across than a giant dick? So says Aster. So that's, that's, I, you know, I mean, I think, did you get it? Where I, (laughs) where I I really, you know, I said it earlier and I think part, part of what I really struggled with this film is at a certain point, it just became so clear, like none of this is reliable. There's no reliable narration going on here. And thus I'm going to, and I kept waiting for a moment that was going to show me some kind of like some perspective outside of his own. Well, that that would like be like, oh, he's interpreting this this way, mm-hmm. but there's never that moment. You're just stuck with him in the way that he is seeing the world. And it is such a, such a terrible, traumatized vision of life. It was just, it, you know, I think that was another part of it that just became very hard for me because I'm like, I, I get it. He's never going to be, there's nothing that's going to make this okay. He's been damaged irrevocably. There's nothing that can be done mm-hmm. to to help this person along. And even Which when you think- Which signifies the ending. I mean, the moment where he thinks that, okay, actually I don't die. You've already alluded to it, Joe, right? He does have sex with Elaine. You think, oh, he's been able to make it through and he didn't die. And right. like, maybe there's hope for this guy. No, but she died when she had her orgasm. And then- you, and then you have this trauma of him having killed this one person he cared about. And it just, it was just layers of neuroses and pathology that I, don't, don't, I don't know where to go with it. It, 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 it just, I don't know. And, and like you say, and then the final judgment being rendered. Right. He dies. Just that he was unworthy. Right. That he was a terrible person. And to me, that's in his head. Uh, clearly, the whole yeah. film is, but in his head, yeah. even when he does break away from his mother and kills her, has sex outside of his mother's wishes, he goes right back into the old cycle of her telling him everything that he did wrong, right. and, it, and it kills him. Yeah. Well, so listen, Kyle is an Ari Aster hater going to hate, and you are, I don't even know what your problem is, David, because you like everything. I liked this movie the most of the three of us, and I'm going to see it again in the theater before it leaves because I think it's worth seeing. I just look. We I watched an over three hour film a few weeks ago. Yeah. that paid off so much more than this one. John Wick, you're talking about? Yeah. <laughs> that did too. But yeah, no, I was talking about Jean Dielman. Oh. But yeah, the, uh, yeah. You know, when it when it comes down to it, like the fact that I reflect as I was another, watching another slow pacer. As I was watching this film, I was reflecting back on Jean Dielman, and I'm like, you know what? Just put me into like a lower speed, 
you know, like meditational space where I'm just watching this woman in her apartment, I can get on that wavelength much easier than I can get on this frenetic, like solipsistic neurosis wavelength. It was too much. It was too much. I think that in five years, 10 years, we're going to be talking about Bo is Afraid in a different way when you guys come around. Just so much of it undercuts itself, though. Like I, you know, talking about the Kyle's the not end done. not paying off. No, I'm I'm not. I gotta complain yeah. more. No, <laughs> the uh, you're talking about the the end not paying off. There was a bunch of stuff towards the end that felt like it should have been like, you know, uh, another director would play it as a big twist or a reveal. Oh, his mom's alive this whole time. What the fuck? But for me hearing the conversation UPS guy says, there's a body here. I don't know, man. I just answered this phone and there's yeah. a body here. For me, that was Bo having a panic attack and his mom's fine. I would never bought it. No. So then when, know, the, then when the mom but is then alive, he's told he needs to come to the funeral. He's told he, you need to come to the funeral. I didn't believe it. Okay. <laughs> I just, I just straight up to no, for me, me having an anxious mind. I'm like, Oh, I know how he's thinking. He's just letting this spiral away from him. And, problems are becoming way bigger than they are oh you didn't check in with your mom she probably slipped and died you know what i mean like yeah well there you go everything gets gets blown out of proportion like that and so then when the mom shows up at the end and it's like gasp i i was just like yeah yeah and like it just (laughs) there was no there was no like gut punch to some of these reveals um you know the 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 dad and the monster, the penis monster being in the attic. I said, well, I knew that dad wasn't dead. Because yeah. for me, from the intro, I, I took that as, you know, the mom shut the dad away for dropping him. Yeah. So I, I don't know. There was just so much where you get to the end and I'm like, and? And there, <laughs> that was just all it was. So very, yeah. very thin. I agree. There was no there was no profound moment that like revealed it. And like I said, you never get outside his head. So they, it, how would you even? I well, if they know. make a penis monster figurine, uh, <laughs> expect it for Christmas in both of your stockings. I have one one. I know you guys are, seem like you're no, done. No, I have one yeah. one final thing. Please. Uh, my my partner who is Jewish I was gonna ask said you. that she wants to hear Jewish women's opinions of this movie. Yeah, for carrying and kind of reinforcing the stereotype of the uh, Jewish mother being overbearing and abusive and and, yeah, yeah, just yelling and and that's a thing you know you see in Seinfeld, you see in you know it's it's like done again and again everywhere. So it's like I'm curious how offended Jewish women are. I'm not Jewish, and I think that basically my opinion in the room is that uh, I've got the deepest wounds of mommy issues of the three of us here and maybe that's why I well that may that may be part of why it resonates i'm not kidding i'm not kidding all right well speaking of resonating with you (laughs) if if you're gonna have fear in your movie why not have lions as well uh sure she should he should have thrown some in a couple of lions he could have yeah but we asked kyle what was the brewery or the beers that helped him along his you know craft beer journey at the beginning and and after uh, eliminating his first couple of choices. We said stone, uh, and we <laughs> picked this one. Fear, Movies, Lion, an 8.5% hazy double IPA. What did you guys think? Uh, I, well, I mean, I've had this beer a lot before, I'll be honest. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> I do, you had it on I tap? Like, no, actually. Okay. Um, just, just out of the tall cans and then the, the smaller bottles. Um, I do love this beer. 
the thing that I appreciate it, appreciate about it the most is, um, you know, when they mentioned that it's kind of a blend of the West Coast and hazy. Yeah. Um, that's that's what carries me through. I've found, especially recently, uh, beers that are just straight hazy or double, you know, double hazy IPA. Those for me tend to feel so like thick and you kind of yeah. have to work to get to finish, you know, especially in a tall can. Um, West Coast, I mentioned already, I was like basically grown on the the bitters of the hops and that kind of crisp bite. And and this carries that through a lot more than a normal hazy would. You know, like going to stone for a hazy kind of gets me what I want out of a hazy more than if I just go buy a, a straight up hazy. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And I like that take on it because I think it's similar to like, I think that with me, um, not even just with hazies, but with double IPAs often, they, if they're, they get too malty, they can get too sweet, they can get too uh, cloying, I, I want to you know have something. And here, I think you're right, there is enough bitterness in the hops that it helps kind of cut that th- cut through that. It makes it a much more drinkable kind of double IPA than what I'm familiar with in a, in a lot of cases. I'm impressed. And it's kind of funny that it's taken me this long. I know it's been around for a while. Yeah. I've, I've seen it on the shelf. And and like I said, I've just kind of passed it over because I'm like, I get what Stone does. But this is a quality double IPA. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Kyle, as a California resident, two hours away from that San Diego Stone Disneyland brewery, because I've been there, um, it, it I call it the Disneyland of breweries. It, you, it looks like a um, very well-produced... I mean, they've got, what, 150 tables for a restaurant? I'm, I'm guessing. I don't know. That shit practically has its own zip code. It's yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's big, and Stone is available anywhere you are listening to this. You can probably go down into your, to maybe not your, your convenience store, but probably to a liquor store and find some Stone. How is Stone regarded in the local scene where you are? Are they too big for their britches? Oh, no. No. It's yeah, like... no, every, every yeah, is it's, it's crazy cuz I, you know, playing shows and everything, I feel like people are tending to grab like cheaper beers, but mm-hmm. if I bust out some stone that I'm contributing to like a group drinking, everybody's hyped. Yeah. You know, um, it's it's like kind of the uh oh god, I'm going to say elevated. You know, like nobody <laughs> no nobody wants to nobody wants to like crack open Budweiser when there's a just a plain stone ipa there yeah but you know perception... that's like that's the shelfie you can count on it'll, for, it'll for be that interesting it'll be interesting to see if anybody refers to this as elevated dark comedy <laughs> I, I... The, the film the film <laughs> yeah. i know i know that I'll, was a point I'll of cut contention my own head the... off and shit on it if <laughs> well, that the, happens, the reason okay? why I ask, the reason why i ask is because us bearded mustachioed uh, craft beer drinkers can give a like a strike against the larger sized they're still craft brewery by designation they're they're underneath that threshold of barrels mm-hmm. you know that they make in a year to be called a craft brewery but they're big and they're everywhere and there's billboards and sometimes they can get a strike against them for for their success basically they, i don't know i i haven't really noticed that here locally mm-hmm. um Plus, like it does still still seem like they're experimenting. Yeah, you know, there's there's constantly. I mean, you always see the like the enjoy by right. series of the mm-hmm. IPAs that are usually like 
heavier hitting. Oh, it's a double IPA. It's a triple IPA. Um, you know, I just had the, the 421 not too long ago. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but, you know, outside, (laughs) right. Yeah. (laughs) Outside of those though, there, there are a lot of like their smoked Porter. Yeah. Stone smoked Porter is crazy good. There's a, I want to say it's called totalitarian. It's the Russian Imperial stout, you know, like it's, there's lots of stuff where they're not just doing like, Oh, we made a really good IPA and now we're going to coast on that and sell out Yeah, there. I feel like they're still doing ones where it's like, Oh, brewed with honey. Oh, this one is, you know, like I, there's, there's lots of stuff popping up constantly. So, um, and them being kind of my, my first stepping stone into drinking more craft beer, I've always got a spot in my heart to to try anything new I see as long as, you know, of course it's vegan. Got to avoid the the lactose and the stouts and and honey I'm not into, but but other than that I'll buy anything once and you know mm-hmm. give it a shot. Well, the, we'll try anything once. We tried Bo's afraid once. We tried I'm going to go back again. Fear movie. Yeah, Joe's going once. back. Joe's I am going not back. up to that. I'm <laughs> Well, in the second half of this episode, I'm going back because this is a film we're going to talk about that I did not feel the warmest feelings about when I saw it the first time. But it's from a director who I generally do love um, and and also has Joaquin Phoenix, who's an, who's an actor who I enjoyed. Um, and I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about this one and, and hear if it matches up with what I felt my second time through when we get back from the break. And we're back. We're back. All right. Uh, You you know, as I said before, we went into the break. uh, We're going to be taking on a film that I did not sit perfectly with me the first time I saw it. But I'm very glad that we're getting an opportunity to revisit that film. Or I'm getting an opportunity to revisit that film. But before we get there, we need beer in our glasses. And the beer that we're going to have, I'm just going to go ahead and reveal the film because it really only makes sense why we're picking this beer saying what it is we're going to look at paul thomas anderson's the master starring joaquin phoenix uh and and also uh philip seymour hoffman may he rest in peace Mm -hmm. and amy adams as well um and so what we are having is our first beer from a brewery that i don't even think was in the mix here just a little while ago i swear i was looking at uh, Chinese beers not that long ago, yeah. and I don't remember this being on our shelves here. Mm. Uh, but this is from Young Master Brewing. They are out of Hong Kong, and the beer that we are trying of theirs is called Neon City. They describe it as a Hong Kong pale ale. They say it is 5.2% ABV. They describe it as a versatile pale ale suitable for all day and all season drinking, accents of Mandarin peel and bergamot reflects their home city, Hong Kong's dual Chinese and English heritage. These bright citrusy notes layered on an elegantly balanced pale ale pairs perfectly with a wide range of Asian flavors. We have no Asian flavors in the mix here really with the film, but we do have a film called The Master. We have a brewery called Young Master, 
and I'm looking forward to trying our first beer from them. Uh, me too, and I will post on our Facebook page if you're not, uh, uh, if you don't like us or follow us or whatever the fuck they call it nowadays. Go do that. Uh, an article that I shared with you two that talks about how Young Master is the clear kind of uh, leader of craft beer in Hong Kong, a city that's been difficult to, <coughs> sorry, a city that's been difficult to have a craft beer market because of all the unrest and, and things that are going on in Hong Kong these days. But And also because of the notoriety of those macro beers like Sing Tao and others that um, tend to dominate the market. But yeah, this is a kind of, turn into a fun thing. Young Master, The Master. The Master, 2012, Paul Thomas Anderson. It's our fourth Paul Thomas Anderson to talk about on Beer in a Movie. We've talked about Licorice Pizza. We've talked about There Will Be Blood and Hard Eight. You can go into whatever you're listening and do a little search and find those old episodes. But this is a PTA. It's, a, like you say, Joaquin Phoenix, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Amy Adams. It tells the story of Freddie Quell. That's um, Joaquin Phoenix's character a World War II Navy veteran who is a generational alcoholic and kind of a drifter post-World War II, uh, struggling to adjust to a post-war society, but he falls in with Lancaster Dodd. That's uh, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. The leader of a a religious movement known as The Cause. And I don't know how much we're going to talk about Scientology, but I I remember when the film came out, the media cycle was about how this was a psychology, uh, Scientology expose or 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 uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's take on Scientology. Yeah. And I, I watched a couple of interviews with him in pre- preparation. God, was he annoyed with that whole like media cycle thing. Because really? when you watch the film, yes, clearly, Philip Seymour Hoffman is clearly, in my opinion, based on an L. Ron Hubbard figure. Yeah. And if you look at the timing of when Scientology was starting. But... That's just a character note to me mm. in, in the film, but I, I'm sure I'm going to get you guys' take. Uh, Dodd, well, it, it's much more Quell's story than it is yeah. Dodd's. Dodd sees mm-hmm. something in Quell and accepts him into the movement, um, and then they they begin kind of uh, working together isn't the right way to put it, but but coexisting with one another. And as you say, David, it is a character study I, more of anything of Joaquin Phoenix this sexually repressed, guilt-ridden post-World War II soldier who was just trying to find his place and maybe become a better person after a lifetime of not really liking himself very much. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I would say sexually repressed, but he's definitely... Sexually... He's he's, he's working through some things. He's he's definitely got some... Which puts it in league with... Bo is afraid in it terms does. of the the kind of this. This is a character who's working through some some problems. Gener- generational trauma is also yeah. a kind of a common yeah. theme, I think. Between it the does handle things. military PTSD way better. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, in a, in a much more sensitive and nuanced way, I would say for yeah. sure. You're right. I was uh, like I said, I did a lot of research on this one because. Um, this is my second viewing as well. Yeah. And David, the first time I saw it, it was a disappointment to me because I loved PTA's Well, that's it. So I mean, much prior to that. I really to, do. To this one, when I saw right, it in the theater. Right. I, I really do love Paul Thomas Anderson. I mean, those who've listened to our, our other reviews of, of, of his films, I, I'm generally very uh, big on, 
you know, championing his yeah. films. He's an and, artist. and I and I have been since I started watching him back in the nineties. And this was one that I was anticipating. I mean, I I find the whole Scientology thing, I find cults in general, I find fascinating to a degree. I can't watch those docu-series that document all the different ins and outs of it. Like I, I get bored with the minutia and, mm -hmm. and the uh and, and the and the true heinousness, but the very idea of people being able to sort of concoct and hatch belief systems yeah. that they then like recruit others into and and the L. Ron Hubbard story being one that uh, you know I I found compelling at a, at an age where I think I was just mo most susceptible to that sort of story and and trying to understand like so people really went along with this guy who was like a science fiction author who like had this whole system that like built up to telling them it, keeping it from them but then ultimately telling them that there were like space aliens that yeah. you know sort of it takes a lot of yeah. money and a lot of time to get to the level right, of understanding right. that truth I'm like wow that's a thing and it is it's a thing it, it, and so the, the, i understand anderson's ultimate uh sort of wanting to distance it because that's not what the real focus of the film is but i think going into it i kind of had this idea like oh this is going to be one of the smartest filmmakers doing one of the smartest takes on cult religion that you could do and it wasn't quite that it was something else and it was something that i felt much less connected to than i wanted to so that first time seeing it it was really the first time I saw a Paul Thomas Anderson film that I walked away feeling like, if not disappointed, somewhat like puzzled. Like, what what were you going for here? Right. I, I didn't understand. Yeah, and I, it, K Kyle. <laughs> now you said you had not seen The Master prior to now. This was your first viewing. Yes. How um, are you this... on How are you on Paul Thomas Anderson in a general sense? Because we have not had you on to discuss any of his films. So now I've seen three. Okay. Um, this, um, I have seen Phantom Thread and thought that it was aggressively fine. I really liked the, <laughs> the, the end, the, the ending, not, not really, I guess it's not really like a twist, but like how that ends up wrapping up. I was like, oh, that's kind of clever, mm -hmm. but it was like such a slog to get to that point. Um, and of course there will be blood is a perfect movie. No notes. Um, oh, so I, as far I, as I'm, I'm concerned, I don't. You said I don't you're disagree not with you. I do not disagree okay, with you. Okay, yeah. One, I was just it, like, you better not. No, I'm just kidding. It is a piece um, of art that should be on a museum wall. It's fantastic. Oh yeah, that that movie's nuts. And um, I know you guys covered Licorice Pizza. I feel like that, like, just the premise of that. I just didn't really have any interest at all. Well, yeah. Car um, Car which, Carlos like, was a was a hard no on that one. Uh, for, and, I think and based I'm not, on the premise, I I'm not really necessarily like condemning it i'm just not interested you know okay. what i mean um there's a lot of movies that deal with like age gaps or troublesome characters you know i think last time i was on here i mentioned the piano teacher the hanukkah movie and there's yeah. there's a lot of like really dark relationship stuff that could be interesting to tackle but just that didn't interest me at all mm -hmm. um all i knew about this was joaquin phoenix is in it he can act his fucking dick off and it's a it's a movie with a cult in it. Put it so I'm in like, the attic. gotcha. That's all yeah. I need, you know. Um, so that's 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 basically all I knew about it going in. Yeah. Um, I I will say overall I liked it. Uh huh. I didn't love it. Okay. Um, I felt like a lot of. I don't know. I feel like it, it didn't 
really end up having a big emotional impact for me, but I actively had no issues with anything going on throughout. You know what I mean? I was, you know, it was very like deliberately paced. Um, I found a lot of the scenes where uh, they're kind of doing like a question answer back and forth, you know, Um, people, people calling it an interrogation scene or something like that, but it was really like, like really aggressive therapy. Um, but it was kind of done in such a way where I, um, I found it like extremely relaxing. Um, I don't know how familiar, how familiar you guys are with like ASMR um, and that type of videos, but, but there, there was kind of a, a relaxing effect of kind of in like a doctor setting, people just kind of asking you personal questions and your mind can kind of relax and reflect on itself. And you just kind of get in like a, a more relaxed state of mind yeah. off of that. And I thought like the sound editing and the really tight uh, frames on just holding on their faces, you know, as yeah. they're talking to each other, when you have two great actors acting against each other, it's just good shit. There's, there's nothing that can be said. It's just, it was just incredible to watch. Yeah, the, the two, um, it the just scenes didn't really end two... up paying off in a super heavy way. Mm-hmm. That's all I was missing. You know what I mean? I had no issues throughout. The scenes with the two of them, uh, be they more uh, whimsical, like I love cool cigarettes, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. or those intense processing scenes. Uh, you're mm-hmm. right. You you cannot take your eyes off of those two actors just at the height of their game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, so, so when I saw this the first time, I think the part of the disappointment came in that, again, it, it was in my mind. And and I guess because of the press coverage, it was built up as this is going to be Paul Thomas Anderson taking on Scientology. And that isn't what this film is. It is using a Scientology-like cult being started by an L. Ron Hubbard-like figure as a backdrop to play out what is it that we are all seeking in life? I mean, I think that there's something much more universal than a particular cult and its particular, you know, sort of methods of trying to get people towards greater self-awareness, whatever it is that they're doing. Um, Like you're saying, Kyle, like these, you know, quote unquote therapy scenes, they refer to them as processing here in the cause in the in the context of this particular belief system that that uh that dodd the philip seymour hoffman character is putting out in scientology it's referred to as auditing and that's what that's what they right. do but the idea yeah, like measure your, measure your thetans yes exactly right, right. <laughs> and, and they don't even get us to where we have like any device that's measuring it but like asking questions registering your response sometimes like repeating high, those high questions psychologically uh, invasive questions too if you're really taking it serious to, yeah, to some extent. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Have you it, killed anybody? You know, in that, in that, you know, Hubbard was using techniques used by Freud. He was, he was, he read Freud. He was thinking about psychoanalysis. He was also looking at other sorts of things that he could bring into you know, contact with that. Not interested at all in testing any of this stuff <laughs> and, and having anybody actually look at like what, what results were for it, but, you know, insisting that he had found the way. And, and that's what we have with Dot. So it, again, so there is that Scientology-like element here, but it is not really the statement that Anderson wants to make, I don't think. What my 
mistake in watching it the first time was focusing too much on that. I think the other reason why I was disappointed, and probably you were, David, was that I, I did not see... No, I did see Boogie Nights in the theater. Heart 8, I didn't catch until video for a long, long time for reasons we discuss on the episode where we discuss Heart 8. It was difficult to find. But Boogie Nights, Magnolia, Punch Drunk Love, and There Will Be Blood prior to The Master. Because it was a five-year gap between There Will Be Blood and The Master. Yeah. Is, they're more entertaining films. The, the, Boogie Nights is a long It's film. an ensemble film, <clears throat> yeah, too. It, it's a long film. But the individual scenes are so entertaining with mm -hmm. John C. Riley's stuff and um, Don Cheadle's stuff. I mean, all of it. Yeah. Uh, Punch Drunk Love, the Adam Sandler thing, but and Philip Seymour Hoffman. It's just the scenes are entertaining. This film it isn't entertaining in that way. It's more of a big five-course meal of like cinema, of filmmaking technique. And the filmmaking technique here alone, forget the content of, of, of the script, is just incredible. Those long shots, the long shot through the department store where the girl is uh, trying to sell people the fur coat that she's like the living mannequin for. Mm -hmm. uh, when Freddy gets, uh, jumps up onto the boat, that long uh, kind of dolly shot where he's walking along the riverfront and then jumps up onto the boat mm -hmm. as, and then the boat sails away from now the the camera is still into that sunset um the scene the quick shot that's that's repeated twice is three times total of the back of the boat where you see just the blue waters and the churning of the that the propeller is making mm -hmm. uh, and how that's framing his relationship with doris if you kind of like really pay attention to the entire thing um the flash, uh, the flashbacks to when he meets Doris, the the girl that he regrets uh, leaving behind when he went to war, and then telling her I'll be back, and then never going back because he becomes a raging alcoholic by making his own booze. The techniques of watching him make his own booze. I, I see that it's not booze, <laughs> but and and I and I I'm 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 curious like that because. I've seen it described as moonshine. I mean, he is using like photochemicals yeah. and I think like or, he's, or, or jet fuel. Yeah, I mean, paint thinner, paint thinner. Yeah, right. he, I mean, he is using substances that go far beyond alcohol. Yeah. Is it poison? To, Not if you drink it right. Yeah. Not if yeah. you drink it correctly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it it this film is an acting tour de force, and I think that that's what it's. Um, Mastery. Is. Well, okay, but that but acting toward a force on its own would be hollow. If the story, and I, if and the I, story I, sucked, yeah, I, I would. I think with you. to me, what what this is, it's it's sort of looking at a at a character, Freddie, right here primarily, who is put into a situation that nobody should be put into war, and taken out of this trajectory that he was on, where he had like taken he had met a person. Uh, who he had some interest in, was maybe going to form a relationship with, was sort of ripped away from that and forced to have to experience this life that was sort of, you know, this homosocial life where it was all guys he was surrounded by. You know, the obsession with women, right? That, that prologue that we get where it's him... Um, Humping the... With these guys sand building figurine. sand figurines where he's like clearly lusting after the female body 
not able to like have that connection that he was about to have. So it's this guy, this character just ripped out of the regular trajectory or I say regular, but like a, a much more um, stable, stable trajectory mm -hmm. for his evolution and forced into this very unnatural situation and then put back into civilian life where he's feeling totally detached from what he had known before, finding solace in substances and this erratic lifestyle of jumping from thing to thing to thing because he has no sort of, a, you know, no anchor. There's nothing there for him to like sort of hang on to. And, and then we see how easy it is to capture somebody like that and pull them into something like this belief well, system that someone, Dodd is putting yeah, out, right? Someone that's thinking to themselves, I could be a better person if, and then Dodd comes along. Right. Yeah. And just kind of gives them the stepping stone or so they think. Right. Um, it's interesting. You said you don't really watch like a, a bunch of like the cult like shows and documentaries. Cause for me, that is kind of the most interesting part uh sometimes it depends yeah. on which group or whatever obviously or who's telling their, their their story um but kind of it's it's easy for me on the outside to go wow what a gullible asshole you know to get sucked into this fucking pyramid scheme of people abusing each other um but when you are looking at it from essentially a man trying to find his way, he's totally lost, you know, just kind of scattered to the wind, drunk as shit off paint thinner most of his day. And somebody's over here giving him a life's purpose. He's like, sure. It works just as good as any. I right. might as well. But, but know, then and, that and old so, him keeps creeping in that violent, yeah. uh, un, untamed animal. And that's, that's something though, that, Oh man, it's so weird. Cause I was, I came off of this like, you know, positive, but like a little, a little neutral on it. You know what I mean? I, I don't like overly love it or anything, but I was seeing a lot of reviews say like, oh wow, the like homoerotic subtext and oh wow. When, you know, like these two guys, why won't they just kiss already? And I didn't <laughs> get that at all. At I didn't, all. I didn't either. I didn't because I'm watching this and I, I can understand people like, you know, after reading it, I could see people like projecting that onto it. But I'm so familiar with the stories that's been told again and again of, oh, this guy, you know, like my husband left me and then this guy came along and he said like, oh, he has the way and I just have to sell all my belongings and moved to his temple you know what i mean like yeah and that's the kind of thing you're you're constantly seeing people get sucked into stuff like this and so i never saw like a symbiotic relationship of like a essentially cult leader and a man needing somebody to give his life purpose that isn't like a queer relationship to me okay that's just somebody who knows prey when he sees it Get sinking their claws in and taking Joaquin Phoenix's character for kind of all he's worth. I, I you know, know, like I don't know if I saw it the same way. To me, it was like uh, Joaquin Phoenix would be a challenge to test my theorems, not the not to get my claws into it. He's not a financial gain. I mean, it's not like he's a rich no, guy that no, not gonna... financially, not financially. But um, he makes a point to say at some point, like he's like the brains of the operation and he's just like, Oh, we need people wild and, and with the under like the simmering rage, like you've got, cause there's a lot of points when 
you know, they'll be, you know, cult leader in a conversation with somebody else. Um, and then Joaquin Phoenix just kind of jumps up and starts fucking the dude up. Yeah. You know, just like jumps on him. Like, he's like, okay, like we're done arguing. I'm going to, I'm going to kick your ass. Cause, cause you're not respecting the person who's telling, you know, it, it's, it's more like Joaquin Phoenix was a crowbar to the, to the cult. Yeah. You no, know, that, that he's I just have... using him as a tool, not financially, but for, for his, uh, in your faceness and, well, especially and like... violence, you know, and we're going to enforce our way of thinking. Cause we see, uh, Hoffman get enraged every single time his theorems, his religion is being questioned by a skeptic or uh, even by his benefactor, Helen, uh, played by uh, Laura, Laura Dern. Dern. Laura, Laura Dern? Okay. Yeah, yeah. when she comes up and uh, he, he releases a second book, uh, it's a big deal for the, the cause. They have their very first um, convention in Phoenix. And she comes up and she just starts asking, I mean, questions that a benefactor might ask. And he just has that eruption. Where, but then he calms himself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he sees in Freddy this, like, um, untamed id. That id? Is that the right one? Mm-hmm. That he can unleash when required. So when mm-hmm. that one guy at that one dinner party is is basically in front of everybody, you know, kind of shitting all over everything, time travel and the other theories that um, yeah. Dodd is presenting. He... That's the guy he calls a pig fuck, right? Yes. Just making sure we're talking oh, about oh, the yeah, right yeah, asshole yeah. here. Yeah. Right. Uh, he and Rami Malek, Dodd's new son-in-law, go and i don't know if rami malik thought that that was going to happen or not but <laughs> joaquin phoenix goes in there and fucks the guy up yeah, you know yeah. uh, i i liked this movie so much more than i yeah. did the first time i was so glad i was able to revisit it and now i'm looking at uh pta's filmography and the only now film of his that to me i've seen once mm-hmm. and i need to revisit it again to see if it's better than i thought it was the first time is the the other Joaquin Phoenix role in Aaron Vice. To me, that's at the bottom of the list right now. Yeah. And I wonder if I watch it again in the right frame of mind or having some distance between the first and the second viewing or maybe on this Joaquin Phoenix kick that we're on on tonight's episode, I'm going to say that he's batting a thousand, you know? I mean, for for me, this is uh, a a much better film upon the second viewing than it was the first time. And like I said, I think for me, it has a lot to do with the expectations I walked in with. Um, Having some time away from it, not imposing those expectations, knowing that that wasn't going to be what what I was going to get out of it. And then instead looking at what was there, I think was, uh, it, it, it was a very different viewing experience. Also, I mean, I'm watching it now with Hoffman having passed. I mean, when I saw this the first time, he was still a living, breathing performer who I was going to get to see in many roles again. And, you know, this kind of stands up at this point as one of his great roles. And I think that... um, when it, when I when I think about this film and what it does, I think that there is a lot that Anderson is kind of working through that I was not really allowing that first time through. And, and I'm trying to be cognizant of the fact that, you know, I've just, 
I've just uh, panned a movie that I think is trying to cram a lot into uh, a lot of hours, <laughs> but but you know, trying to cram a lot in, and and people could charge somewhat similar things at least about Anderson in terms of running time. Right, this is a little over two hours. He's been known to go north of three hours. He he's not somebody who's known for like sort of pulling back. But what you were saying, Joe, earlier is I watched this film and I, you know, when I, when I watched it again just a couple days ago, there was never a moment where I felt like, oh, this is a scene you could cut. This is a thing you could, everything that's there needs to be there. Mm -hmm. Whether or not you think it's fully effective, I don't think there's any fat here. I don't think there's stuff that you can really trim away from it and have it still be the film. Um, it, it, I, I just, I, I think that this is, Partially, yes, two great performers, and I and I, and I guess we could even put three because I th I think that uh, Amy Adams is doing some great work here. I think that some of the other smaller, you know, supporting performances or Rami Malek you mentioned, um, I, I think is good. Laura Dern is good. I think this is when people work with Paul Thomas Anderson, they want to bring their best to it. I think they do. I think that it all pays off very nicely. I think it is a more subdued kind of character study film that does have some insights that can be universalized beyond that. But ultimately, you need to go into this feeling like this is just going to be a look at somebody who is at a point in their life where they don't necessarily have a direction and what can be done with a person like that, what what can happen to a person like that, and being caught up in this sort of circle uh, of a somewhat charismatic figure who's putting out a sort of cult belief system it it all makes perfect sense. Um, is I I definitely agree as far as the like what would you cut? You know it's a it's a long movie but it's all there and it's all there for a reason. Um, I'm not gonna say this is anything similar to you know Bo was afraid where I felt like there's at least an hour of just extra nothing that's just tacked in. Um, the, the this though it you know executed perfectly it's just a matter of is this type of story fulfilling to you personally or is it not mm -hmm. and 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 for me it was pretty much all the way up until the end and i was like oh, oh okay it didn't really <laughs> like really you know like it, I, you expect to like a slow burn to yeah. burn you know, yeah. when it hits the end, to there's the going to be fire. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and that's, that's normally like how a slow burn type of thing works is like, no, you gotta, I mean, we talked about Tokyo story. There's yeah. a lot of that movie. That's just kind of sitting around talking, we're hanging out, you're getting the vibe of everybody's relationship. But then at the end, it does gut punch you. Yeah. And this, this, this kind of felt like it just decided to be over. Um, which yeah. you know, well, if, that, if there you is got that... what you wanted out of it, then then it doesn't feel like a disappointment. Yeah. Um, me that... looking at it. Sorry, no, I don't uh, want to cut I, you I, off. I'm doing that thing that I do, where I'm trying to take <laughs> over the uh, floor, but I but I presented back to you, my friend. Um. Well, now I lost my train of thought. Go ahead, <laughs> oh, fantastic. Go ahead, sir. The, well, uh, the the ending. You you felt like it didn't really. You stole hit... the floor from me. Go ahead. Oh, oh, that's right. Thank you. Um, it, it kind of ended in a place where it felt like the movie was saying to me, see, they both needed each other and they've beneficially affected huh. each other's lives. 
And, and for me, that doesn't really resonate knowing that one of them is like an abusive cult leader, just using people however they can. I, and, and I know a lot of people are talking out here in, you know, letterbox review land about like a queer subtext and, oh, why won't they just fuck already? And, and all this like tension between the two of them. And I, I straight up didn't read any of that. I just saw a predator seeing someone with, you know, who's lost their way and going, ah, this guy's mine. But I you see know, someone and, that and, lost their way and sees someone that can help them find their way. I think at the end of the day, the title of the film, The Master, is that, and, and they're, okay, so their last scene together is when Philip Seymour Hoffman sings to him Slow Boat to China, another amazing tie-in to the beer that we're having tonight. <laughs> uh, intentional. Uh, and to me, if there's any hint of romance, I don't mean queer romance, I just mean like... Um, bromance that's it he's like you're welcome to do one of two things stay here and accept my teachings whatever or go off and do your own thing and he goes off and does his own thing which is to rebuild the sand woman and then lay down next to her and that's where he is achieving himself well now, and then and then also attempting to use dodds own tactics with a, a new woman yeah. with, with the new woman. and that's it, that's kind of where i was coming from where it felt like he's like oh i learned something after all like it, it's like that's part of his persona now is applying these lessons he's learned quote unquote from the master but he's but, probably well, using just, to manipulate and, the girl well that's that, it, it, i don't I, yeah and i didn't know how we're supposed to read it necessarily that's I, just kind of where it, that's why for me like the ending lands and kind of like a okay you know if yeah. you're sure yeah no i i mean i i feel unsettled by the ending i i do think there is i mean obviously he is trying to take this thing that he quote unquote learned from dodd and bring it into his own practice, his own life, whatever he does. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, joke and not pour a beer tonight. It is the funniest thing. Um, and uh, but to me, like he's doing it in this hollow. He's not even pretending like this is going to be some sort of therapy for this person to bring them to a better understanding of themselves or what you know whatever it was that yeah. dodd is at he's least just saying the words to, he's just saying it and using it as kind of like when i when he did that to me that kind of like put me into a little trance and connected me to him so i'll do that here and i think it kind of speaks to like even if somebody starts out with maybe you know like let's say that dodd starts out with like great intentions of like maybe i can unlock which I don't think is the case. I think he was always cynically He's like, making I can, it up as he goes I can control along. people and do that. Yeah. But, but even if you grant that Dodd might think that his system could bring people to like greater self-awareness or greater peace or what, whatever it was like, Freddie is not thinking that at no, all. No. He's just thinking I'm going to have sex with this woman and this will like kind of keep her here with me for a little bit longer and, 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 and kind of like, you know, link her to me in the way that Dodd kind of got, and it's it's like the cheapening. It's like the I'm gonna repeat this thing, and it's gonna be this like even cheaper facsimile of the thing that it once was, which was already kind of a a hollow thing to begin with. I I don't know. It, it, I I haven't quite sorted through exactly what I think that is, but I, but I liked it. And in in the commentary it offered on what tends to happen when like. Somebody tells it. I think of it like somebody tells a joke and it gets the bar room to laugh. And then 
somebody walks away from that and tries to tell it again a couple months later in a different bar room and it kind of goes over all right but not quite as effectively it's like this kind of like repeating pattern of like it's a meme it gets like sort of cycled along and it like loses a little bit of its value along the way Mm -hmm. yeah i i like this a lot i liked it a lot i thought i mean i mean the filmmaking of it all is just incredible uh because he's an incredible filmmaker well it's it's go ahead so sorry i keep doing that no 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 no. (laughs) um i was gonna say it feels like one of those movies where you know if you when you talk about Bo, you can talk about all the things it does right or wrong um and you're like oh like kind of botched this took too much time here or there there's absolutely nothing i can fault about the master it's just a matter of is this the type of story um that is gonna fulfill you or or just not yeah you know like i I feel like movie wise there's not a lot i can critique um you know like acting wise and the thing for me you know especially acting wise was just the facial expressions yeah you know like joaquin phoenix kind of has this like uh in the early uh you uh what the fuck did you call him processing yeah. You know, like when they're they're like asking, he's asking like tough questions, mm-hmm. and he kind of has this like tough guy, like bravado, like yeah. kind of Popeye face on, where he's kind of got one eye squinted yeah. a little bit yeah, more than the other eye. Side of his mouth. He's, he's yeah. talking out the side of his mouth a little, like he's got kind <laughs> of like a like a drawl going on, you know. And he he does seem like tougher and closed off, and by the end of the movie, he does seem a lot more softened and, and yeah. open. And I, I can appreciate the subtleties and the acting, um, I guess, more than I appreciate like where the story as a whole ended up. Yeah. But that's yeah. like not a fault of the movie. That's just like different movies are for different people at different states of mind. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah it was interesting. I, I, I have nothing bad to say about this movie at all, even though it like isn't a five out of five for me. I watched a couple of Paul Thomas Anderson interviews about this, as I said, and he said that um it doesn't it doesn't build up to anything there's no murder at the end there's no explosion right. at the end and i wanted to make a movie like that to see if i could yeah and i think that if that it was the goal yeah and and he's right there is no inciting action if you don't consider having sex with that girl and trying to duplicate right, right, the right. dodd stuff that's, that's 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 not big it's not a big action no then uh this is this is this one's pretty damn good yeah, yeah. I think this is this is not where I would suggest anybody start out with Paul Thomas Anderson. No, you start with Boogie Nights. Period. But I think this is one that I would definitely encourage anybody, even like myself, who the first time seeing it didn't feel yeah as strongly connected to it, to at least give it another chance. No doubt, no doubt. And then we'll have to do that with Inherent Vice sometime soon. I don't know how you all feel about that one. We can talk about that. In I, I'm hours. more positive, but I waited on that one. Okay. I didn't see it right out the all gate, right. but yeah. So what about this uh, young master? We didn't know it was this Chinese beer, Hong Kong-based beer in our market until I literally went to the Total Wine website and typed in master as a search result to see if we could, <laughs> that's, that's what happened, to see if we could sh- to find the same beer in Texas that we could find in California for Kyle. We wanted to have the right. same beers all together. Young Master's Neon City, a Hong Kong pale ale, ale brewed with mandarin, and bergamot zest, a 5.2 ABV. What did you guys think? I'm impressed. I mean, I I like 
a I like a pale ale, and to me, this one with I was getting the Mandarin. I think I'm getting bergamot, which I, I guess I associate with tea, right? Bergamot is a is often used in tea, I think. Uh, it's more of an aroma as far as I'm concerned. I have never tasted bergamot. Well, you know that's, what I mean? that, that's, that's a good point. But I feel, I feel like I've, I've had that aromatic experience before. But I'm definitely getting the Mandarin. I'm definitely getting – it's a very subtle, light pale ale. There's not I, – I would not call this like a very hoppy experience drinking-wise. But it's got the citrus of the Mandarin. And there's something a little bit um, – I mean, for for lack of a better term, just exotic, at least in terms of the beer realm that the bergamot brings in, I think aroma-wise. The, the, the whole package here is something that I don't know that I've ever exactly had before. It, it, the closest I could come would be like uh, Belgian white ale that uses maybe um, some of the coriander mm-hmm. and the uh, – and like a, um, orange, you know, like – that that's kind of where my head goes with this. The that's exactly old. what I was going to say. Actually, do you remember the beer we had for Tokyo Story? It was the that was a white oh, ale. Oh, the Hitachino. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that was that was a white ale with with like zest and like herbal yeah. notes to it, and that's right. kind of the same vibe I'm getting here, where it's like a crushable, easy drink, you know. Yeah. But it when you say exotic, I it's it's notes you feel like you don't normally get in just a straight beer, you know, right. like the herbal herbal type notes, you know, where it feels like not even quite juicy, but maybe like a tea. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's hard to place, but I it's very enjoyable and not something I would have ever really had if I was just picking things for myself. You know what I mean? So yeah, I I really like it. I think it's very delicious and and an easy drink. A bergamot orange is a fragrant citrus fruit the size of an orange, thought to be a probable hybrid between a lemon and a bitter orange. Okay, so that's even more citrus. Right. So yeah. put that in with the mandarin orange, okay. and they're, they're doing something here with uh, some Cute. citrus family. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I know I've had bergamot in like a, a, a aroma note on like a beard oil. Okay. You know, I've definitely, yeah. I've definitely <laughs> no, I'm had you. I'm with you. you know what I mean? Um, us bearded dudes know what's up. Yeah. <laughs> I oil but, and brush yeah. every day, Kyle. I, in fact, Absolutely. I'm, I'm writing down my notes for, uh, after hours and I'm, we're going to talk some beard management because these are three bearded boys <laughs> that you're, that are they're talking tonight. Beard management. No, I like this one a lot. And, uh, you know, it, literally we picked it up because the word master was the brewery. And that's all. Uh, that was yeah. what it was. And sometimes you can hit or miss with that because you don't know what you're getting. Okay. But I think that, uh, you know, there's a story to be told about a different young master brewing beer that we could have selected from. But, Kyle, you got to the liquor store before we did and said that their cans were all sticky and screwed up. So you went with this Neon City, which is why we landed on it. It seemed like the Jade Scorpion cans were maybe leaking, or okay. one of them popped, and and yeah, it, the the cans were sticky and had a uh, like residue all on the outside of them, and I didn't want to get anything that was possibly flat, well, so I just figured smart. it was best to grab the other. Sure. Yeah. So so I'm glad you grabbed this one. We can try the other one some other time. Maybe next time you come on, Kyle, just mm. for uh, completeness' sake. But absolutely, th- this was yeah for a pale ale. A little bit different than any other pale ale I've ever had before, For which sure. tend to be like a Sierra Nevada kind of thing, very hop forward. I, I enjoyed this very much. Young Master, good job, and, and welcome to the show. Yeah. Well, 
the best thing what is about it? beer in a movie what is that the conversation does not end here oh, you can me. always find us on social media we're on facebook we're on instagram you can go to our website beerinamoviepodcast.com for some nice curated lists of our episodes as well as the link to our t public store where you can find various forms of merch and you can join our chat on Discord, which I would highly encourage you to do. A lot of fun. It's under the name Beer in a Movie. The conversation continues. Um, we've also mentioned that we will extend this conversation ourselves and our Patreon subscriber only after hours bonus episode. So please sign up at patreon.com slash beer in a movie podcast. It's the easiest way to tell us that you love us. That's right. Also, we know you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, but before you leave, won't you please rate us and leave a review? We hope you'll make it five stars so that the algorithm can do what it do. Do what it do. And put us out there as an option for more listeners. You've just experienced another masterfully neurotic episode of Beer in a Movie. Until next time. If you figure out a way to live without serving a master anyway. Then let the rest of the world know, will you? For you'd be the first person in the history of the world. And then the drums kick in. <laughs>